On today's show, we talk a lot about trauma. We talk about trauma after a hurricane. We talk about trauma after a hard car wreck. And we talk about trauma of letting foster kids go. How we deal with it, how we love. Stay tuned. What up, what up? This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show, where we are dancing and singing and checking out James' new khakis, because boy, he loves talking about those. And we hope you are doing well. If you're the first time to ever listen to this show, you probably don't know who James is or anything about his khakis, and you're better off for it. This is the Dr. John Deloney Show, where we talk about mental health and wellness and relationships and parenting and education and everything. And sometimes we talk about James' pants. James is the producer of this show, and God Almighty, he's always talking about how cool his clothes are. Let the record show that I am not wearing khakis. Man, talk about making the show weird. What are you wearing? You made it weird. I did, I'm sorry. <laughs> Man, the number of times I've heard that in my life. No, you made it weird. You're right. Kelly, are you wearing khakis? I played the fifth. Are you really? That's so cool. How cool. I've got my... Uh, I've, got, I've got corduroys. Corduroys. Wow, 84. That's cool. Good to see you. And that's the year I was born. That's the year you were born? Dang, Grandpa Nick. Kelly just froed her brow. Sorry, Grandma Kelly. You're not that much younger than me. Um, I disagree. When I said you made this weird, I didn't mean this episode. I just mean from day one, you've made this <laughs> weird. <laughs> I love it. That's what my wife says about our marriage. Like, John, you made this so weird. It didn't have to be weird. All right. Hey, listen. A few months ago... I said, you, if you will, you as the listener, if you will email, I mean, if you will write me letters with poems in them, I guess I did a poem about James. I forgot this. I did a poem about you, James, and I think it was remarkable. And I asked people to mail letters in. Good God Almighty, you sent letters in. I've got stacks. I'm like a mailman now. The guy that sits next to me, Ken, was like, what is happening over here? It's like a, it's like Harry Potter. Like an owl just drops things down all the time, except there's no owls. That's what makes it even weirder. Um, but we're going to do a mailbag here, so I'm going to read some of the letters you sent in. I hope you were serious. Um, I've accepted your poem writing challenge. Get ready. I'm presenting to you the greatest poem of all time. Here it goes. Come on, man. Thanks, Heidi. The poem is... James is super rad. Kelly carries herself with poise. The Dr. John Deloney show is my favorite fan, forever a fan, is my favorite, forever a fan of the horse noise. Heidi, you totally redeemed yourself there at the end. Feels like a win-win for both of us there. I think we all win, Kelly. As always, you lost. All right, let's see here. Smokes on a stick. Some of y'all sent in notes and y'all need to go to therapy now. Like, right now. Don't stop, go, don't collect $200, and if you don't even know what that is, you're too young. Whew. All right, here we go. Hey, John, I accept your challenge. Here's my poem. Obviously, I can't write poems. I don't remember the stanza or rhyming rules. There is no rules. And please consider Simple Man by Leonard Skinner for being the best song ever written. I will take that into account. Thank you so much. All right. This poem is entitled Deloney. Deloney, Deloney. He never talks baloney. Told you, Kelly. He shows up to teach us how to love. Every time I listen, I feel like a special dove. <laughs> yes. When he says, best song ever written, I am even more smitten. Is this a love letter? Are you going to kill me at the end of this? Carry on, brother John. 
to help us all have a special bond. When our time is done, we will know you helped us make a difference in so many others' existence. Now, go outside and play. Dude! Joanne! Brought some smoke. And you didn't even mention James and Kelly, which is cool. We'll do one more. This one's written like a serial killer. This poem's entitled John. It could be about a commode or me. John, are you listening? John, is that a horse I hear? Listen, good folks, five bucks, stand up, move forward. What does that mean? John, stop counting. We are here, community, your people. Poem for John. I'm a super fan. Thank you for being you, Kelly, and James, too. Good jobs, all. Thank you. I don't think you need therapy, but you need a morning drinks. You should start drinking earlier. I don't know when you start drinking, but it should be earlier. Thanks to everybody for your poems. Dude, these are going to get awesome, but I need you to screen some of these. Holy smokes. Whoa. That might have been my favorite segment of the whole show. What's that? That's going to be my new favorite thing on the show. Here we go. Hey, Dr. John, I was listening to an episode of your show on July 28th. To the introduction, you challenged listeners to write you a poem and mail it with a stamp. I decided to accept the challenge. Here's another haiku. I wrote a poem. It's bad. I've got 10 billion hours to improve. Nick. Nick. Thank you. I'm going to be sitting in a deer stand sometime in the middle of the winter trying to decipher this poem and you and your 10 billion hours. Thank you, Nick. I'm going to publish these. We're going to publish all of these. Whoa. Whoa. All right. Let's, what should we do on this show? Maybe take the first call. All right. Hey, let's go to John in one of my favorite places on the planet, home of Louisiana. What's up, brother John? How you doing, Dr. D? I'm all right. Hey, listen, Homa, um, some of my favorite memories of my life are in home of Louisiana. Some of the greatest crawfish, greatest shrimp, greatest fishing trips of my life. I had some loved ones. There. It's what an amazing small community. I love it right there on the bayou. It's awesome. So you actually been here? Oh, okay. yeah. Hey, can I tell you a funny story? But it's going to sound like I'm mocking people in home and I'm not. Can I tell it to you? Oh, yeah, sure. So we were fishing, and I caught this gigantic turtle. It was, like, on my fishing line. And we got it in and wanted to, like, take care of it. It was just this big red-ear turtle. And uh, I know people eat – I've eaten snapping turtle. I love snapping turtle and soft-shell turtle. But this is just a big old, like, red-ear turtle. And I got the hook out of his mouth. I got some pliers. And if you ever tried to deal with a big turtle, they're trying to bite you too. And they got a hook in their mouth. And it's a whole thing. And – so we get it off, and the turtle's just staring at us. And so I take my foot, and I don't kick him, but I'm, I'm just edging him back into the water. And this man, he's, he, he probably he looked like 111 years old, but he was down the bayou from us, and he just goes in that, in that French accent, boy, and he comes running down the bayou, boy, better go kick that turtle. And he took the turtle, and he just took it home to eat it. And I remember <laughs> thinking, this is home of Louisiana. It was incredible. It was incredible. It's one of my favorite places on planet Earth. Oh, I love it, man. And that's, is that where you're born and raised? Yes, sir. Oh, good for you, man. What a great community. So, brother, how can I help, man? Well, I think you know the big question. <laughs> um, we just went through Hurricane Ida down here. Yeah, you did, man. Um, and 
it really affected this. I mean, more than Homa and the Thibodeau and the yeah. Terrebonne Lafourche parishes. And but it, I, it's, it's just hard to describe. I, I tell people when people talk to me. I said I think I'm having a little bit. The main question is, is that I think I'm suffering through survivor guilt. Hmm. Tell me about that. And okay, that that's the first one. Okay. And um, basically, what it is is that I got I had to stay. Because my mother-in-law, who we live with, mm-hmm. says, I'm not evacuating. So then the wife says, I can't leave my mom. And I said, well, I guess that means i got to stay. <laughs> yes. That's the, that's, hey, that's the home away. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it is. Down here, and, and I mean, she's 77. Yep. So she, she, she's just really set in her ways. And now, granted, I knew where we lived at. I wasn't going to have to worry about storm surge mm-hmm. because we live far enough inland, but I knew right. we were going to have some issue with some wind and stuff because we had a, a huge oak tree in the backyard. That's right. And I had a real stress hat. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I want, let me stop you right here. And I think this is important for the listener to know. This is going to come out a month or two after the hurricane, Hurricane Ida has run through. Mm-hmm. And we live in a clickbait culture. This was a big deal. We watched it on the news all across the country. Everyone was checking in on hurricane, hurricane, hurricane. And by the time people are listening to this, we've already moved on to the next Kardashian thing, the next Kanye West thing, the next um, whatever tragedy happens to be. And the people of home of Louisiana are still walking outside trying to figure out where electricity is. They're trying to figure out how to put that big piece of tin back on their roof or keep the tarp on the roof because the insurance adjusters haven't come out. There's real people still living in this stuff. And as a guy who did crisis, I always showed up after the media was leaving. And you're sitting with folks who are thinking, how do I – like everything in my life is in tatters. How do I put this thing back together? Um, And so, man, John, I appreciate you calling. And for the listener – I never want people to forget the human beings left in the wake of these things. There's always humans. These aren't headlines. These aren't clicks. These aren't, <gasps> and then on to the next thing. These are people living in these moments. So, John, um, y'all wrote it out. You stayed through. And then tell me where you're at now. You got survivor's guilt. What else, man? Yeah, and actually managing my temper and I guess the frustration level um, is where I guess like the big thing, like you said, everyone's doing the clickbait thing. They they go there and, and they say poor New Orleans or poor Jefferson Parish, and yes, they did get they did get hit. And I'm not saying they didn't, but where if anyone followed the track of the storm, it came up those lower river parishes and bayou parishes, and a lot of people are angry about that because they just they don't see it. Yeah. But then also, you're dealing like with us. We have a few people that came stay with us, and you get. You're not used to them, so you, you get that little aggravation when you don't do something exactly what like you like to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or your family, or your family is giving you ten thousand things to do with advice, or you, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you, you're, you're trying to go. Okay, guys, I'm I'm the one who's stuck down here, yeah. and and so most of my family did evacuate, mm-hmm. and then when it was saying, well, we want to come home, and I'm like, I'm telling my mom. Don't come home. Yeah. We have no hospitals that they, they shut down the hospitals. We have no water. Power's still not on. And you yeah. want to come home. And you yeah. are elderly, 
stepdad is elderly. Y'all both have conditions. Don't come home. Yeah. This is, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. During Katrina, I was an offshore worker at that time. So the day after the storm, I had to go out there and do jacket inspections. I was what they call an ROV operator. Right. Uh, and so I was checking all the auto rigs. So I never got firsthand experience of really seeing the devastation. I just saw like everybody else did on news or whatever we got. Driving around my town in, in the surrounding areas, my God, this is... It's a war zone, huh? <laughs> I think that's what I told you on the email. Yeah. This is a war zone. I mean, this is... Oh, I didn't, even, I didn't even read the email. I didn't know. That, but yeah, yeah. I've, 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 I grew up in Houston, man. So I've seen these things. And it's... it's so, I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's, it's mind-boggling. Yeah. Every day I went to a different section to try to go help someone out or something. And yeah. I'm seeing new damages. I'm seeing buildings that have been up for all my life and they're crumbled. Yep. Uh, it is just, I mean, we're, we're fortunate now. Um, the good news is power has been getting restored slowly, but surely my neighborhood probably won't get power for another two days, but we do have a backup, a standby generator. So we're doing okay. Like I said, and that's where the survivor guilt comes in. I mean, I look at what we had, I have this old house that I lived in, or that we're living in. And we really didn't suffer that much damage. Hold on, 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 hold on. You're doing it. Like a good tough guy will do it, okay. Yeah. And I, I, I know a lot of tough women who do this too. But I'm just talking to you, my brother and Homa. I don't care how bad somebody else had it, or how good somebody else had it. You went through hell, and you were scared, and everything you know is different now. Oh yeah. There was a level of uncertainty and a level of, there's a level of this is the way we do it in Homa. And that same thing, by the way, is the way, this is the way we do it in Nebraska. And this is the way Kansas people respond. And this is the way Texans respond. And, and New Yorkers, every, every small geographical region has their ethos, their way of doing stuff. And when you drive through your neighborhood and it is leveled, these places where you went and played, where you had fun, where you kissed your first girl, all those things are gone. Or, or and or, we just don't ever have a, a, a concept in our head of a, a day without electric. Like, the electricity can just go off. That there can just be a place with no hospitals. And you get to see what so much of the other world lives with on a daily basis. Oh, man, this is a gift, right? And it's yes. scary. So listen, I don't care how bad somebody else has it. You... Get to own your grief. Comparing your grief to somebody else doesn't make them feel better. It just takes your pain and squashes it. And you know where it comes out? In anger. And it comes out in frustration. And it comes out in anxiousness. And it comes out in not being able to sleep. And so the first thing you got to do here, how old are you? 54. 54. You've seen a lot. You've been through a lot. You're a good man who loves his wife, who takes care of his elderly parents and his elderly in-laws. You're a good man. Thank you. And I want you to sit down for a second by yourself and breathe deep and cry your eyes out. I want you to exhale and get out a piece of paper and just jot down. I'm hurt and this was scary. And we don't have any hospitals. And I'm worried about the future of my town, of my community, of my parents, of all that stuff. And your body is going to Roll out of fight or flight, which it's still in. 
Every time you drive around your community, it's there. You're running and gunning. You've been on adrenaline and cortisol for the last week, last two weeks, right? You're yes, buzzing, sir. buzzing, 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 buzzing. At some point, you got to come off that. And you got to sit down and let your body know, I'm here and I'm present and I'm heartbroken and I'm sad. And that, that ash, that is the soil that will grow the new trees. That's the soil where healing will happen, where then you will then gather the strength and the community and the resilience to say, are we going to stay here? Are we going to move? Are we going to rebuild? Are we going to ride it out? Like, what is this going to look like for us? Comparing, yes, it's so frustrating that New Orleans gets all the news. I get that. Worrying about that and being angry about that is poisoning your body, hoping somebody else will suffer. It does nobody any good. Right. Right. And I know it's like, man, no, everyone's forgotten about us. You haven't. Your neighbors haven't. Your community hasn't. The media has. And when, since when do we start listening to those folks, man? They're off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to, I'm oh, not yeah. going to give them that power in my life. I'm not going to give them the power to fire off my cortisol and my adrenaline and my fight or flight and my cytokine response. I'm not going to give them the opportunity to cause inflammation in my body that's going to make me die younger. I'm not giving them that power. What I'm going to do is I'm going to love my family. I'm going to keep driving around my neighborhood and finding ways to serve. I'm going to go to work and work hard as I can. And I'm going to grieve this thing because it sucks. It's heartbreaking. Right? That's where you're oh, yeah. at. And that's been the good. Honestly, that's been the good thing. The last three days, I've been at my church, yeah. um, volunteering and unloading trucks and giving out food and supplies and stuff. I wish more I people in the world were like you. Well, like I said, I, I, I no, 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 no. Don't be a home in Louisiana, fifty-four-year-old man. Say thank you. Okay. Say thank you. I'm a good thank man. You. Um, thank you. I'm a good man. There you You're go. Right. You are. Yeah, I mean, I got called back to work, and that's where I'm heading to right now. Good. And so, um, um, but you're right. I am grateful and I am grateful that I survived and I am grateful that I'm seeing this because I can now get a better perspective of how most of the rest of the world lives in some of these conditions. But in addition, but, 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 but in addition I, to being grateful, you can be heartbroken too. Okay. I want you to spend some time being sad because this is sad. I don't it want is. you to blow over this. I don't want you to try to white knuckle this. I don't want you to snap into a Slim Jim. I'm going to crush it. You gotta take some moment to grieve this. I can't be a normal man and tough it up. No, no, because you're <laughs> gonna die like one. You're right. You're right. And there's a reason tough guys lead the world in heart attacks and strokes and organ disease failures and addiction. It's because we are like, yeah, okay, on to the. You gotta take it and process it. And if you're a real crazy guy. You can go sit with your wife and hold her hand and say, can we just go sit on the porch and be sad for a minute? I'm heartbroken about my town. And she may say, she may not even know what to do. She may just, <laughs> she may just start crying out of sheer joy. Or she may call you a wimp. I didn't marry no softy guy with his feelings. And you can look at her and say, hey, I'm, I'm heartbroken here. Be right. believe, it or, believe it or not, we've been doing that. Good. I do, I do exactly what you say. Touch the face. Look yeah, right look at that. Listen, you didn't even need to call me, brother. You are a good man. Your community is so lucky to have you. Your family's lucky to have you. What I want you to do is to own your own the the crap of this. And then here's the magic, man. When you look and you see that just swath of devastation, 
right? The, the, those hundred year old trees are knocked over. The 200 year old trees are knocked over and the buildings are flooded and they're condemned and there's no hospital. Here's what it is. It is, I'm going to take a series of tiny steps and get through today. Right. Yeah. And then tomorrow I'm going to get up. I'm going to take the small steps that I need to do tomorrow. And I'm going to challenge you to get a note card. It's what I carry around with me and just say, here's what I can do today. I can go to work. I can check in on my mom and dad. I can check in on my, on my mother-in-law. I can check in on my wife. I can run over to my church and serve. That's what yep. I can do today. And then you're going to cross those suckers off and you're going to keep a gratitude journal just to remind yourself what you're grateful for. And you're going to get up tomorrow. You're going to do it again. And here's what will happen over the next two, three, five, six months. Homa's tough. Thibodeau Parish is tough. Y'all will rebound. It'll look different. Y'all are all going to be different, but you're going to stand up tall again. The, 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 sun, <laughs> the sun's already out. It's hot. Those mosquitoes that are as big as crows are already flying around, right? They'll be there. The fish will come back, right? You will, you will stand up tall, but it's going to take a series of tiny steps to get there. And I want you to have that note card that you pull out every day because you can keep track of your progress and things are going to feel like they're spinning out of control. They're not moving fast enough. You can control John's little steps every day, right? Yes, sir. And last thing, you got another guy in your life that's your age that you can just holler at? You can go sit down? Yeah, one of the guys I work with. Good. Please make sure you do that. And y'all can talk crap and politics and make up dumb jokes and whatever, make fun of people. Like That's what you do. I want to make sure you got somebody that's not your wife, that you don't feel responsible for, for owning, right? Uh, not owning, but for you don't feel responsible for their care, right? Um, that you can just sit down and unload with. Someone that you love and someone that uh, cares for you. Sounds good. But listen to me, brother. I, as just a guy living in the United States... We see a lot of nonsense on the news, man. So much nonsense. And what I know is there's more Johns out there than there are not. And you have restored my, I'm smiling right now, man, because of you. Guy who loves his community, loves his neighborhoods, out there serving, out there willing to do the hard stuff and sit on his porch and just be sad with the woman he loves. He's going to grieve this on his own. He's going to go reach out and talk to people, and he's going to take care of the tiny little things he can do every little day, those little steps. I can't try to solve the world. I can't turn the hospitals on and get all the power back up tomorrow. But I can go move some boxes off of a truck. I can make sure I'm moving my body. I can make sure I'm eating some of that crawfish. And, hey, if there's some little boy that catches a uh, big turtle and cook that up too, that's what you're going to do, right? I'm so grateful for you, John. Thank you so, so, so much for the call. We'll be thinking about home Louisiana and that swath of the world. Don't forget the humans down there. And if you've got some time, if you've got some energy, some resources, make sure you are looking those folks up and taking care of them. They're struggling, 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 but they're going to come back, especially if we all come back together. Stay tuned. We'll be right back on the Dr. John Deloney Show. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. One of the most common questions I get on my show is how do you get something off your chest, right? Like a deep secret that you've never told anyone, or maybe it's something that happened to you, or maybe it's something you've done that you're ashamed about or worried because you know bringing this to light is going to cause disruption across your life. All of us, every single one of us have things both big and small that we need to get off our chest from time to time. And I say this all the time, secrets will kill you, but it's often so hard to know where to start. If you need to get something off your chest and you don't have a safe person to talk to, you may want to try therapy. 
Therapy is a safe, effective place to get things off your chest, to learn how to say scary and hard things out loud, and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I have personally been blessed to have a great therapist who I can talk to and who helps me get those heavy things off my chest. And if you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, it's super flexible, and it's suited to fit your schedule, whatever your schedule happens to be. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra money. Listen, it's time to get those secrets off your chest. Start with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Deloney today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Deloney. All right, we're back. Let's go to Grace in Grand Rapids, Michigan. What's up, Grace? <laughs> oh, not much. How about you? You know, I was going to say we're saving the world, but <laughs> we for sure aren't. <laughs> Um, I'm running a middling podcast over here in Nashville, Tennessee, but I'm glad to be talking to you. What's going on? Okay. So, um, about a month ago, I woke up to a knock on my door from a state trooper saying oh, that my husband no. was in a car wreck. Um, Yikes. What happened? He was on his way to work and a woman blew through a stop sign and got him pretty good. Oh man, I'm so um, sorry. So where, where's he at now? How is he? Uh, at the time he was in critical condition, which is something nobody wants to hear. Yeah. Um, you have little ones? Yes, we have um, three little ones, five and under. So oh, it's man. pretty busy around here. <laughs> Grace, I'm so sorry. Yeah, um, he has severe brain damage due to it. Okay. Um, he is currently in a nursing and rehab facility right now to try to get him back on his feet as much as possible. Is he awake? Um, he is awake. Um, Does he have speech and eye movement and auditory and sensory stuff? His eye movement is getting much better, okay. and they just started speech therapy with him this week. Okay. Does he recognize um, you when you're there? We think so. Um, he especially will try to move his mouth when his parents are in the room and grandparents. Okay. And especially the kids. That was when the kids came to visit him. That was the first time he actually was crying. Okay. Um. You know, that's a really remarkable sign, right? Oh, yes. Good. Yes. Um, there's so much, even just in little things, that God has been showing that uh, he's still here for a reason, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We keep hearing he should have died. He should have died on the operating people. He should have this, but he's still here. I'm so sorry, um, So how can I help you today? I'm so sorry. Man. Thank you. Um, the biggest thing right now is it's going to be at least two to five years, mm -hmm. hopefully, before he comes home. There is a possibility he might not come home again. Um, the kids have been wondering when daddy's coming home, especially our oldest, who's five. I know they're going through a traumatic experience, just the fact of daddy not being there. 
Um, and I'm just wondering how to help them in that. Yeah, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. I'm so sorry, Grace. Thank you. So there's a lot here, and if you and I were just talking in person, I'd probably spend the next 10 minutes just in a hug. <laughs> um, who's walking alongside you with this? Do you have family? Do you have friends that are connected with you guys in any way? So both of our families are pretty big. So mm -hmm. there's probably a total of like 40 family members oh. alone. <laughs> um. <laughs> so you got the opposite. It's like you just need a glass of water and you're getting a fire hose, right? <laughs> Man. Um, people have been coming out of the woodwork we didn't even know existed. Um, yeah. We honestly have more people taking care of us than we know what to do with. Okay. And Good. we're both introverts. So that's. That kind of makes it even more hilarious. Oh, gosh. Um, Jeez Louise. So people have been giving us meals and good. asking what they can do around the house, child care, anything basically we needed. Good. So um, I, I think I've talked about this on this show, but um, my oldest and best friend on planet Earth um, was one of his friends ran a stop sign and was. Um, hit by a car and um uh we spent some some multiple days and nights sleeping on icu floor and um, went through the whole tbi recovery process and all that stuff and everything's different now 20 years later everything's different and um we still obviously are in contact almost every day but um well, I've never been married to anybody. I don't have kids that's a whole other layer and level mm -hmm. that stunned just hit by a bus feeling that you have. Oh my gosh, my heart breaks. Um, so when it comes to kids, we can just focus on that one today. And then I want, if if you'll, if you're okay with it over the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, I want to keep checking in with you. Um, yeah. I've just been down this road and I would love to just check in with you. Okay. And make sure anything you need, um, you can holler at us and you're going to have more people around you giving you bonkers advice and telling you what you should be doing and how you should be doing it and all that stuff. And sometimes just having a neutral person to call and just say, well, what in the world? Um, I want to make sure that you know that we're always going to be here with you. Um, Thank you. When it comes, let me just put it this way. Um, this is a month ago, you said? Yes. Okay. Over the next 30 to 60 days, you're going to be able to breathe again. And my guess is maybe a couple of days here and there for an hour or so, but my guess is you haven't fully breathed yet. And when you hear things like it could be two to five years, there's a part of you that, where that registers and a part of you, it could be a thousand years or, hey, we're going to go to Mars, right? For all, I mean, it feels like you're hearing some of this stuff underwater, right? Yeah. And then some days you surface and you wake up and you've slept a little bit deeper than you have. And you look over and he's not there. It all comes back like a giant tidal wave. And then you got three little kids that you got to feed and go to the bathroom. And they're asking questions like, where's daddy? And I miss daddy. And one of them will just start crying and yelling. And then it becomes really hard to breathe. Am I saying it about right? 
Yes, and I did have uh, a talk with the two oldest um, that, you know, everybody's sad right now. Just because Daddy's not here, we all miss Daddy. We want him to come back. And they have expressed, you know, they're sad, too, because they miss Daddy. Of course. Um, But they have a little photo album each, pictures of them and Daddy playing, and so they'll look through that before they go to bed, and it helps them kind of just seeing pictures of him comforts them a little. Um, Having them... Well, so let me back out. One of the greatest things you can do for them is to tell them the truth, to not hide your grief from them. Don't overshare, but they're a part of this process with you. And one of the things that we often try to do is protect our kids. And in a situation like this, this is trauma that most people will never understand. Mm -hmm. When they cry, we say it's going to be okay. And it's not. It's not. Everything's different. And when we cry, we need to, we go in the other room and they feel crazy if we do that. And so in the days that you cry and they're in the room, put your arms out and say, can you, can we snuggle? And they'll, and you can just say, I'm missing daddy. And that is a lifeline to a kid. We've had lots of snuggles and Good. they definitely have seen me cry and they know why Good. they just yeah. say, I miss daddy too. And I'm like, Yep. (laughs) And the challenge here, here's the other challenge, that they don't become your comfort blanket, right? Right. They they can't fill that gap for you. And sometimes it's, they are the next closest thing to him, right? And it's easy to make them, like they become your support blanket, if you will. And so making sure you've got adults. So the number one thing when I, when folks say, what can I do for my kids in a moment like this? I tell them, you make sure you're taking care of you that you're grieving, that you've got people around you, that you're sleeping, that you're eating, that you're going for walks, that you're moving your body, that you're doing those things that are going to keep your heart and head as clear as they possibly could be while you're trying not to drown in grief, right? Believe me, my sisters and sisters-in-law have been making sure I'm eating (sighs) and drinking and that they got people around me when they're not there. Good, good, good. So here's the second thing. Draw boundaries. And do not apologize. I can't tell you the number of people who I've talked to over the years who have a loved one pass away or in a car wreck or they get a cancer diagnosis and their full-time job becomes taking care of everyone around them, making sure they're all okay, right? And um, you now know that you have become a beacon to other people. Your husband's become a beacon to people that y'all love that life is fragile, And it can go away at any moment. And you can just be driving to work and somebody runs a stop sign and it's all over, right? Um, Or that life turns on a dime. And people don't know what to do with that. And they need you to make them feel like it's all going to be okay. And I need you to hear me say that's not your job. Your job is to take care of you and to love your kids. And so when you get 8,000 texts a day, you can feel free as a bird to respond to none of them. Zero of them. You don't owe anybody that. You don't owe anybody um, thank you notes for their meals. You don't owe anybody, you know what I mean? Like I'll come over and clean up your house or mow your You don't know anybody that. You owe you the opportunity to begin to process this and heal. And you owe your husband just a, a hand to hold right now and your kids and your kids and your kids. Does that, I want you to feel as free as possible to set strong boundaries and say thank you and then go on and accept the help. 
Yes, that's that's been the most difficult for me because I'm the giver, not the receiver. So all this has been very humbling. There we go. Hey, games change now, <laughs> sister, right? So if someone wants to mow your lawn, rock on, mow it. Somebody, Or you know what's awesome? You're going to have one or two family members who are like super Uber go-getters. You can sit with them and say, here's what I need you to do. I need you to schedule lawn care for the next year. And they will, you know, that'd be such a gift for them. I, and you can tell them, I don't want to cook for the next 11 years. Set it up. And they will be like, yes. And they'll get a spreadsheet out. Every, every family's got that person, right? Um, you can give them that gift and that you are going to have to learn just to say thank, say thank you and say, yes, I need some help. I need some help with some laundry. Yes. I need some help with my kids. Does that make sense? Yes, actually, his aunt has been in charge of the meal train and yes. child care, getting that scheduled. And my father-in-law has been taking care of just anything that needs done around the house, getting everything on auto pay for bills and setting up things and all that stuff. So great, 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 great. How are you guys financially? I got more help than I know how to how to do, deal with. How are you guys financially? We are okay. Um, we had that three to six months of expenses saved. Awesome. And because so many people have been so generous, we have not touched that at all. Great. Did you have short-term or long-term care insurance? That is in the works okay. as we speak. But he, your husband had that at his, at his employment? Yes. Okay, fantastic. So, so good. What a gift. Um, I've, I've been in these situations where someone's got to go to work on Monday, and that's mm-hmm. such a gift. Good, 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 good. All right, here is the last little piece of advice I'll give you. Okay, for and this again, this okay. is all free, so you can you can hang up the phone and be like, "Well, that was a waste of ten minutes of my life." <laughs> I want you to practice not feeling guilty for smiling, and I want you to practice not feeling guilty for laughing, for taking the kids out to dinner, just y'all four, for going to a movie, just y'all four. You're gonna feel guilty that you're not including parents and grandparents and cousins. You're going to feel guilty that you're doing these things and it's going to feel like you're quote unquote moving on while your husband's in a hospital bed. You're going to feel guilty when you got to pick up all three kids and you're going to miss one of his PT appointments. And I want you to decide now I'm going to be at full at peace with trying to however difficult and ugly and brutal it is. If I see a flower growing up to the sidewalk, I'm going to stop and acknowledge it because it's beautiful. If something's funny in my house, I'm going to laugh. I'm not going to feel guilty about it just because my husband's not here. Okay. The guilt and shame machine will get up and going in a wild, wild way. So I want to make sure you have a journal of some sort. And if I were you, I would overpay for it. I'd go get some fancy pants, leather bound, something or other. And I would start a series of letters to my husband, things he misses. Like when it just pops in your head, a funny joke, an old office episode, whatever it happens to be. When you reach over in bed and he's not there, I want you just to write that down. Reach for you tonight and you weren't here. I miss you. Mm-hmm. And um, had a, something hilarious happen today and I missed you. I ruined dinner again and I can't even warm up leftovers right. And you would have laughed at me and you weren't here. Missed you. Had an awesome day at PT today and it was so good to see you. I have been writing those things down. So good. And just so that when he is actually able to read again, Mm -hmm. he'll have something to look through. 
And I want your children to, to draw them pictures. Children yes. process thing through play, through, through writing stuff down, through coloring. You can color daddy a picture and maybe that becomes a thing you'll do once a week or twice a week. We're all going to color daddy a picture. We're going to make him a, um, you know, get some grass and gravel. I don't know what kids do. They come up with crazy stuff <laughs> and know that your five-year-old is going to have different memories than your one-year-old, right? Oh, yes. Those are going to be different. The one-year-old, is going to be, he's going to be abstract. He's going to be this floating presence that was sort of here and not here. And then six months from now, it'll have been, you know, almost half of that young child's life where dad wasn't mm-hmm. here or dad was just that guy in the hospital. So every kid's going to have different levels of memory and it will be different oh, yeah. for everybody, right? Don't put expectations. Don't compare your grief. Don't say, well, it could have been so bad. No, this is hard and awful and heartbreaking. Yeah. Right? Don't it's feel- very lonely without him here. <sighs> it's so lonely. And then his shoes are over there in the corner and his stupid shirt still wadded up in the bathroom, right? It's all still there. (laughs) And there's those days it's so comforting to see that stuff. And there's those days that it is, it is so heartbreaking to see that stuff, right? Yeah. Who knew actually doing his laundry would be so hard? Yeah. You know. Well, it's always hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's always hard, but it's especially, right? Especially hard now. Um, Yeah. Look those doctors in the eye and tell them that you love them and you're grateful for them and pass along that gratitude where you can is, is, is a healing gift for you too. And just know you're going to be healing from this forever mm-hmm. for a long time. So you're not going to try to outrun the grief. You're not going to try to outrun the healing. It's going to be little tiny steps every single day. Yeah. Your kids are really blessed to have you, Grace. And what an incredible family, incredible family. Make sure you have non-family friends that you can be angry with and cuss your brains out with and scream at and be mad at God with if you're a person of faith that you can just rage through this and you can cry with and you can laugh with and go get pedicures with and all those things. Make sure you've got people to do this with because grief demands a witness. And this isn't going to make sense for a long time. That's not really the goal. The goal is survival. The goal is learning how to breathe again goals making sure those kids and you are eating and walking and moving and the goal is holding that old man's hand and the 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 advancements they've made with tbi is just something to behold and so i would hold every bit of optimism and hope that two to five years becomes you know six to nine months that we don't know how long, we don't know how long becomes suddenly he sits up and says, ah, I got a headache. And I've seen that a few times with, with people that I'm close to. So keep out hope, keep out optimism. Don't be afraid of the grief. Don't feel guilty for laughing. And we will be thinking about you, Grace. We will be thinking about you. Stay in touch and we'll talk to you soon. We'll be right back on the Dr. John Deloney Show. Hey, what's up? Deloney here. Listen, you and me, And everybody else on the planet has felt anxious or burned out or chronically stressed at some point. In my new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, you'll learn the six daily choices that you can make to get rid of your anxious feelings and be able to better respond to whatever life throws at you so you can build a more peaceful, non-anxious life. Get your copy today at johndeloney.com. All right, it is Big Bang Theory time. Let's go to Sheldon in Bellingham, Washington. Hey, Sheldon, what's going on? Hey there, Dr. John. Man, it's uh, 
good to talk to you. I really it's appreciate your time. Better to talk to you. You never hear Big Bang Theory jokes, do you? <laughs> never. Listen, never. man, my last name rhymes with like a processed lunch meat. I'm with you. <laughs> We're going to persevere through this. We'll yeah. get through it. So what's up, brother? How can I help, man? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, first of all, my heart goes out to great. That grace, that's, uh, that's hard to hear. Yeah, it's a tough, 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 yeah. tough situation, man. Tough, tough, tough. Yeah, yeah. So what's up in your world, um, man? So my wife and I, we're foster parents. Um, we hey, can we just stop and sell? And- Hold on, can we stop and celebrate you guys? What got you into fostering? Uh, I mean, early on, my wife wanted to do it before we got married, and I wanted to adopt, and so we met halfway with fostering to start with. <laughs> so good. Why are we doing this? Because my wife wanted to, but you did too. So good for you. Well, man, what a yeah, gift yeah. you're putting out in the yeah. world. I'm grateful for you. So what's up? Y'all are fostering. Um. Yep, we're fostering. Um, got a little one with us right now. We've had several uh, short-term and then another long-term one that's back with family now. And Got a little one with us now that's about 13 months old. Picked her up from the hospital. Um, it's just, you know, heartbreaking to see the whole family dynamic. Yeah. Uh, but I'm smiling right now, man. I'm so glad you were there to pick her yeah. up. That's incredible. She's pretty incredible. I tell you what, she's, uh, yeah. I don't know. Never been a big one for little kids, but my goodness, I didn't know that little kids could be that much fun. Dude, they will take your soul and spirit from you, man. It's it's incredible. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, what's up? Um, so the one parent has basically disappeared, made it very clear to social workers, everybody, my legal obligations are done, I want nothing to do. Okay. Other family member um, is living, it's a very complicated scenario, living with somebody that is filing for custody on their behalf. And that is allowing this individual to not really go through any of the steps to get their proper custody. And so what that means is if the child goes into this uh, person's care, then this family member could just take the kid. There's no repercussions. There's no follow-ups, no nothing. The kid just disappears. Hmm. And yeah, as a foster parent, you're powerless. Yeah, man. So, I have heard of this attempted before. Um, several of my close mentors were um, attorneys or counselors in this system. I've heard of that attempted before. I haven't heard it be successful. It it might be. Whoops! I just squeaked my microphone here. I've 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 heard that attempted. I've never heard it be successful because the person filing for custody, if they're just some random boyfriend or just some random girlfriend. They have to prove a connection, and a dating relationship often doesn't provide that connection. And yeah. usually, so, I see it some downstream relative will pop out of nowhere and say, I'll step in. But I've heard this attempted, but I haven't heard it be successful. Have you heard that be successful in your area? Yeah, and part of the complication is, is this person filing for custody has the half-siblings, the six half-siblings of this child in their care. Oh, uh, well, then, hey. That's a, I'm, I'm wrong. There's a hundred percent chance they're going to get custody then. Yeah. And dad is not even fully blood to these other kids. Okay. It, another, yeah, it's doesn't matter if, 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 mess, if there's half siblings there, then the court will, will sign that one over in a heartbeat and they will call that a family reunification and they will move on to the next case on their overloaded docket of people who refuse to take responsibility for their children, which is just heartbreaking. <sighs> so, yeah, I mean, she'll be the seventh kid under 12 yep. in that home. Yeah. Here's, uh, I'm just going to tell you the truth, okay? 
when you are in foster parenting, and I'm telling this, you already know this, you are a bridge and you help hold suspended children while the adults in their life who have are not acting like adults figure out what they're going to do. And the word, when anyone says I'm a foster parent, the first, or should I be a foster parent? The first thing I ask them is, can you handle heartbreak? Because that is the nature of foster care. It's heartbreaking. Even in the best of situations, you've been living with this little baby and holding her and taking care of her and feeding her and laughing with her and getting to know her weird little cute 13-month-old personality. And even in the greatest of situations, it's heartbreaking to hand her back, right? Yeah. And in these situations, man, it's devastating. Especially because you can't control the outcome. So my challenge to you, brother, is to put that stuff down because you can't do anything about it. And you're going to make yourself crazy trying to solve problems that you can't solve. Gotcha. That sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It really does. And the real challenge here is, can you keep your heart open enough to go love another little kid. And I want to tell you as a foster parent, how many foster kids have you had? Uh, she's a second long-term placement, but we've had probably 20 kids in our home in the last two years. So you know this better than I do, man. You, know, I mean, Of course you do. But you know every time it's that your heart fills up and then, man, it feels like it's had the air taken out of it, right? Yep. Is this one, is this one, this one feels like it's uniquely painful for you? Yeah, I mean, it was directly following the placement of the last child. And I mean, had a couple of miscarriages and Mm. uh, a lot of failed adoption attempts privately. Mm. Yep. How are you and your wife doing? She wants a baby. Yeah. And you want to do whatever it takes to get her one, huh? I mean, short of stealing a kid. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, yeah. if you got to do what you got to do, brother. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Please don't yeah. steal a kid. Yeah. <laughs> When's the last time y'all sat down and looked at each other and made sure y'all are still on the same page? Oh, two weeks ago, and then the next day we had a call about a possible adoption that they needed a placement for immediately, and then it fell through due to paperwork. Of course. Yep. Yep. We've had numerous issues of that nature. Yeah. So here's here's what I need you to do, man. Number one, you're in love with a tiny little baby girl, and you took her home for the hospital, and you've loved her. And whatever her, whatever her destiny looks like, it's going to be different positively because you and your wife stepped into a gap that her parents didn't provide. And as a member of your community and her community, I'm so grateful for you guys. And she is too. And there's some people gaming the system, doing end arounds on the system. And right now, there's nothing you can do about that. You can get a lawyer and try to fight it, I guess. I, I can't imagine you'd be successful, but you could sure give it a shot. Yeah, no. 
Yeah, as a foster parent, you have no legal representation. Right. And so I tell you is to have a grieving process with your wife where y'all can walk through this. And and you also know the grief wrapped up here, man, is bigger than just this little baby girl going into a really tough, tough situation. It also is yet another opportunity for me and my wife to have a family and what we think is going to be what our picture of a family. And we're not able to do that. And I couldn't X, Y, Z, and she couldn't X, Y, Z. And there's so much guilt. Here's what happens. These bricks in this backpack end up weighing down your marriage to the point that it makes it hard to keep driving. And that's why I want you guys to check in and always keep checking in and always keep checking in because y'all are firefighters now and you got to make sure each other are breathing because y'all are playing. Y'all are helping people in the most dire of situations, but your relationship can, t- can you know, wear the, wear the scars of those, those interactions, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you can, um, I don't know what work looks like. I would love to see you guys get away for a weekend and just control, delete, and reset. And yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that's pretty easy. I have a pretty great work schedule. I'd love to see all. You've heard me say this a hundred times. I'll say it a hundred times more. Um, every time this happens, is just like the twin towers falling. You can't take all that glass and dust and steel and rebuild those same two towers. You got to excavate the whole thing and build something else new and create something beautiful and say, all right, here we go again. I'd love to see y'all exhale and say, where are we? What's it going to look like tomorrow? What's it going to look like in two weeks? What's it going to look like in a month? And you're not failing anybody if y'all take a break. At some point, you got to put on your oxygen mask first, brother. And I know it feels like, well, if we take a break, that could be the day of the call. That could be the call. Y'all can do that until you make each other crazy. And it may be time for a break. 20 kids, 22 kids, and a couple of hard heartbreaks and some miscarriages in the last 24 months is a lot of trauma. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, miscarriages were before the 24 months. It hasn't been easy to turn. Yeah. You about to ask me one more thing. Yeah, go for it. Do you have any advice on connecting with this parent or the possible person that would be taking placement of a child i always um slade sullivan is one of my most one of the most important men i've ever known um and they have been foster parents and adoptive parents and they um were the ones that him and his wife taught me about the importance of reaching out to family members sometimes it's a no-go but sometimes um the parents were really open to Here's how to be a good mom. Here's how to be a good dad. Here's what this baby loves. And so being proactive and not being, not thinking I'm the best, but I've loved this little baby right now and we could teach you guys. They may say, you know what? Y'all screw off. We don't need you. That's our kid. Or they may Mm -hmm. say, oh, that'd be incredible. We would love that. And so again, you're setting yourself up for more heartbreak for sure. But I am always, always going to lean into that. And I watched, um, Slade and his wife do that, and it was it was extraordinary. They, you know, Slade's wife would go to coffee with these moms and talk about parenting and what love looks like, and um, really remarkable things. And so, yeah, I, if if you have the stomach for that and the heart for that, I I think that would be a remarkable thing. Again, you're, this is all for that little baby, right? All for that yeah, little baby. Yeah, yeah. And you may get rejected again, right? So, what are you going to do? Um, yeah. But yeah, and it may be time for a break. I'm not going to speak into your marriage, but I do. I definitely think it's time for y'all to step away and say, where are we? And you to make sure yeah. you look her in the eye and hold 
both sides of her face and let her know, I love you. And I'm in this with you. What's tomorrow going to look like? And she needs to say the same thing to you too. Thank you so much for loving that little baby girl, for loving your wife, for loving those kids. Oh, foster parents, y'all are heroes, 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 heroes. Incredible, incredible, incredible. Man, oh man, oh man. Man, oh man, oh man. Kelly, I don't tell you enough. You and your husband are good people too. Y'all been down this road also. Your husband's really great on multiple counts, but... <laughs> I Even I have to agree with that one, yes. <laughs> As someone who only has to deal with a few hours of Kelly a day. Whoa. Just kidding. He's a lucky man. <laughs> oh, seriously, thank you. Oh, man. Do you have anything you can pass along to Sheldon? I mean, you've walked this walk. Not uh, No, because we have it in the same aspect of we never had to deal with birth parents yeah. or anything like that. Um, Just hard, huh? Yeah. The only thing I can say is because I ran the adoption ministry mm-hmm. and foster ministry at our church for a while is that given the situation they're going into – there's a distinct possibility this child's coming back out again. Yeah. And be there. Yep. Um, one of our friends, this happened probably 12 times that the child came out over a number of years. Mm. And every time they took took her until finally the mother said, I can't do it anymore. Mm. And they now have adopted her. Mm. And, and they have a relationship with the mother too. Yeah. So as hard as that is, every time they had to leave, but every time they knew she was going to come back out again. Just keep you know, those back doors the open, system, huh? And they just picked her up and took her back yeah. every time. Keep those doors open, huh? Yeah. So, best you can do. So hard. And then, you know, be, like you said, be the one that stands in that gap for that parent or for that baby because maybe they grow up with two great families. Yeah, exactly. Or they always have a picture of, there's a point when a teenager re- recognizes, it doesn't happen. My parents, whoa, right? Even in the best case scenarios, parents or kids recognize that. But there may be that moment when the kid goes, wait a minute, that's what this could look like, right? And the foster parent is who is stuck with the kid over over a number of years gives them a picture of what parenting and love and showing up and connection looks like. And that's just, I mean, it's just worth its weight in gold, right? So we wrap up today's show. This literally is one of my favorites. This is like my top three or four or five. And I think I've said that enough to where I think we have 14 songs in my top three or four of all time. But... This is back from the 80s. The L.A. Guns, this incredible song called Ballad of Jane, and it goes something like this. (laughs) That's how all 80s metal guys, this is every rose has its thorn, and it goes something like this. No, it goes exactly like this, because this is the song, right? But this is the Ballad of Jane, and it goes something like this. She was always something special. A diamond shining bright in the rain, and everybody dreams of angels. And no one will ever know how much I love you show. So, and now it all seems funny, kind of like a dream that things ain't always what they seem. What a shame. What happened to Jane? And you were always on my mind, a child like summer days in the sun and slowly wishes turned to sadness. Time doesn't heal a broken gun and I wish I'd never let you go. Hear me now, because I want you to know. It all seems funny, kind of like a dream and things ain't always what they seem. What a shame happened to Jane right here on the Dr. John Deloney Show.